Garden Basics with Farmer Fred is brought to you by Smart Pots, the original, lightweight, long-lasting fabric plant container. It's made in the USA. Visit smartpots.com slash Fred for more information and a special discount. That's smartpots.com slash Fred. Welcome to the Garden Basics with Farmer Fred podcast. If you're just a beginning gardener or you want good gardening information, well, you've come to the right spot. Right now in mid-June is still an excellent time to be planting tomatoes from transplants. It's not too late, even for those of you in colder climates where frost may occur in late September. You just have to choose your tomato varieties a bit more carefully. We have the ones that will work for you, as well as tomato varieties for June planting for everyone in warmer climates. What can you do with the shards of a broken pot? Perhaps line the bottom of another container? Well, that's not really a good idea. Debbie Flower will tell us why, as well as have suggestions for how to use those broken pot pieces elsewhere in the garden. And she walks us through the process of making homemade hypertufa pots. What's that, you ask? Well, give a listen. You just might be intrigued enough to try it yourself. We're podcasting from Barking Dog Studios here in the beautiful Abutilon jungle in suburban purgatory. It's the Garden Basics with Farmer Fred podcast, brought to you today by Smart Pots and Dave Wilson Nursery. And we'll do it all in under 30 minutes. Let's go. Even though it's June, it's not too late to plant tomatoes in much of the warmer zones of the United States, basically zones six through nine. But if you've never grown tomatoes before, which varieties should you choose? That's always a question among beginning gardeners. We asked Don Shore of Redwood Barn Nursery about that. He had some ideas on good tomato varieties to try that'll make you feel like a successful gardener. Usually we recommend for people who are having lots of tomato failure and they're about to throw in the towel or for beginning gardeners who are planting their first tomato garden. And by the way, it's June. You can still plant tomatoes is to have a cherry tomato, perhaps an early maturing full size tomato and then a full season tomato for the beginning gardener. Maybe three hybrids might be in order. Sun Gold, it's all still the most popular cherry tomato. There's others out there, Sweet Hundred, Sweet Million, all that crowd. Early Girl Mm -hmm. Champion has proven extremely reliable. There's lots of others. Then you can have fun with, no, Cherokee Purple, Black Crim, uh, you know, some some of those other interesting heirloom types and see how they do for you. Yeah, the uh, Gardener's Delight, which is a little bigger Mm -hmm. than a cherry tomato. It's almost, it's a little even bigger than a little grape-sized tomato, but still, it uh, performs... uh, here for me, it was one of the first producers and one of the last producers around uh, Christmas. Another thing to consider when picking out tomatoes is maybe look for the All-America Selections winners. Yeah, we've talked about them before on previous shows. They, that'll generally be a reasonable guide for you because my understanding of that program is they've been tested in a wide variety of gardens and a wide variety of climates. Uh, so if it's an AAS winner, pretty good chance it'll do well wherever you're listening. Uh, one that we've mentioned before is Big Beef, mm-hmm. which was an AAS selection from the early 1990s. Yeah, that's proving to be a consistent performer for me. I've It's, it's in my database and three solid seasons out of that one. So again, I don't, I don't ever judge a tomato variety by one season. 
yes or no. I, you know, maybe it'll give you 50 fruit one year and then the next year you'll be skunked. It's happened. But in general, if you see a consistent performance year after year, that's one to put into your portfolio. Yes. And indeed, there are tomatoes at uh, AAS that are actually uh, winners in various climates. They have Western right. winters, Eastern winters, Southern winters, Northern winters, and then all around uh, throughout the United States winters. So when you go to All America Selections, and I believe their website is allamericaselections.org, and I think there's a dash between the word all and America. So allamericaselections.org uh, has a, a great list of uh, winning tomatoes, and you might want to check that out too. And most nurseries uh, carry those as uh, transplants, and of course, um, maybe next year you you could start growing your tomatoes from seed. Mm-hmm. And that again was Don Shore from Redwood Barn Nursery in Davis, California. And again, you can plant tomatoes in June and expect a harvest later in the summer. Some tips for choosing a tomato plant from a nursery this time of year. Some of the nurseries here in USDA Zone 9, especially here in California, have plenty of tomato plants available in the middle of June. And some may be on sale as their summer vegetable selling season winds down. Some nurseries may even have taken their tomato plants out of the six packs and four inch pots and may have replanted them into larger containers. Obviously, that's a more mature plant, but you're going to pay a premium price. Still, those tomato plants in larger pots may be your best option if you're hankering for harvesting a full-size beefsteak tomato in late summer, such as Big Beef, Chef's Choice, or Beefmaster. All of those are tomatoes with slices that can cover an entire piece of bread. On the other hand, you may find varieties of early ripening tomatoes in 4-inch pots on sale that have reached a larger growth stage where you might be harvesting a tennis ball-sized tomato in 30 or 40 days. That could be an early girl, a legend, or an early wonder all of which would normally be bearing fruit in less than 60 days if they were transplanted at a smaller size. And as we sort of implied, you can't go wrong with planting cherry tomatoes in June from transplants for a very quick harvest. Cherry tomato varieties typically produce about 60 days after transplanting. Widely available, good-tasting cherry tomato varieties include Juliet, Sun Gold, Sweet 100, and one of my favorites that produces in about 70 days, but we'll keep producing until frost is Gardener's Delight. You've heard me talk about the benefits of Smart Pots, the original award-winning fabric container. Smart Pots are sold around the world and are proudly made 100% right here in the USA. Smart Pots is the oldest and still the best of all the fabric plant containers that you might find. Many of the imitators are selling cheaply made fabric pots that fall apart quickly. Not smart pots. There are satisfied smart pot owners who have been using the same smart pots for over a decade, actually approaching 20 years. When you choose smart pot fabric containers, you know you'll be having a superior growing experience with the best product on the market. And your plants will appreciate smart pots too. Because of the 1 million microscopic holes in smart pots, your soil will have better drainage and the roots will be healthier. They won't be going round and round on the outside of the soil ball like you see in so many plastic pots. The air pruning qualities of smart pots creates more branching of the roots, filling more of the usable soil in the smart pot. Smart pots are available at independent garden centers and select Ace and True Value hardware stores nationwide. To find a store near you or to buy online, visit smartpots.com/fred.
And don't forget that slash Fred part. On that page are details about how, for a limited time, you can get 10% off your Smart Pot order by using the coupon code FRED. Use it at checkout from the Smart Pot store. Visit smartpots.com slash Fred for more information about the complete line of Smart Pots lightweight, colorful, award-winning fabric containers. And don't forget that special Farmer Fred 10% discount. Smart Pots, the original award-winning fabric planter. Go to smartpots.com slash Fred. You want to start the backyard fruit and nut orchard of your dreams? But maybe you don't know where to begin. Or maybe you're currently growing fruit and nut trees and you've got a million questions. Such as what are the tastiest fruits to grow? Where can I go to buy some of these delectable fruit and nut trees you've been reading about? And then how do you care for all of these trees, including planting, pruning, and harvesting? I've got one online stop in mind for you where all these questions you might have will get answered. It's DaveWilson.com. That's Dave Wilson Nursery, the nation's largest wholesaler of fruit and nut trees for the backyard garden. They have planting tips, taste test results, and links to nurseries in your area that carry Dave Wilson fruit trees. Click on the Home Garden tab at DaveWilson.com for all of these links, including a link to their years of informative videos about growing fruit and nut trees that they've posted on the Dave Wilson Nursery YouTube channel. Start the backyard orchard of your dreams at DaveWilson.com. You know, if you want more information about gardening, I would suggest you visit the Get Growing with Farmer Fred Facebook page where there are a lot of posts, a lot of comments. And one recent post there, I had a picture of my big broken ceramic pot. It's really a, a very pretty ceramic pot with a big hole in the side. I was trying to remember how that hole arrived there. And somehow I remember kicking it. <laughs> or, or I must have hit it with something. Debbie Flower is here, our favorite retired college horticultural professor, uh, America's favorite retired college <laughs> horticultural professor. And the whole point of that was to talk about uh, the value of reusing potting soil, which we've mm -hmm. talked about many times on this program, Debbie. Mm -hmm. Yes, we have. But people wanted to do something with the broken pieces <laughs> of the ceramic pot that were laying there. Well, kudos to them. I'm a reduce, reuse, recycle person myself, so that reusing is helpful to the world. So let's dive into the most common uh, comment people made on there about putting those shards at the bottom of another pot. Mm -hmm. I grew up with my mother and grandmother doing that, and I watched them do it. And it is done so that the the new media, new container media, doesn't doesn't fall right out the bottom of the pot through those drain holes, which are sometimes pretty big, half inch, inch across. I did it for a while, and then I would take the plant out of the pot and later and realize that the roots had grown all around it, and and that piece of shard was embedded in the in the roots of that plant. People seem to have a different version of how to use them at the bottom of the pot, too. It's like uh, if you lay them the wrong way, you mm -hmm. could be blocking the drainage holes, but if you turn them over so they're convex... I guess you yes, would say. Yes, they're, they're like a dome. Yeah, they're like over a dome. Over the hole. That would still allow for protecting the soil. I mean, that's what people were worried about. Oh, if you don't have those shards in the bottom of that pot, the soil is just going to drain right out. I understand the fear. You can do it absolutely wrong. If you do it so it's like a, it's the other way. So yes. it's not a dome. Like a rocking chair. Yeah. Then, then yes, you can close the hole and the, the plant will, will drown. But there's really no need to cover those holes. 
I stopped doing it after I saw it all embedded in the roots of the plant. And almost nothing, if you moisten the media, especially before you put it in the pot, almost nothing falls out that hole. Exactly. If you moisten it first, mm -hmm. most of the soil will remain there when you mm -hmm. water it. Placing it in a concave fashion so that it's sort of protecting the hole would allow for that drainage. Would be convex. Con Cave is cave is down. down. Stactolites are ceiling. Staglomites are on the ground. Okay, <laughs> whatever. Anyway, uh, if you make them like a dome, like you say, right. uh, it can protect that draining issue, which may or may not be an issue. Right. But you're also reducing the volume of that pot to hold soil. If people start putting a shard in the bottom of the container, sometimes they put a lot of shards or sometimes they put a layer of gravel or some such thing in the bottom of the container. And it's still published in places, gardening places, that says that helps drainage. And the fact is that's absolutely the opposite. It does not help drainage. Water takes the path of least resistance. And when it goes through media and hits a very drastic texture change like a layer of rocks or pot shards, it stops. And so the water then creates a saturation zone in the bottom of the media. And if you pour more water in the top, it'll push some of that saturation water out, but it replaces the saturation with the water you just poured in. So you're always, it's a condition of growing in containers is that you always have a saturation layer in the bottom of the container after you've watered it and it has drained. There's nothing you can do about that, but providing the correct depth of root zone for the plant will keep the roots out of that saturation layer. Think of it as a traffic jam for water. You're going down the freeway. You look ahead and you see some smoke off on the side of the road. And as you get closer, you see, oh, it's a car on fire, but it's on the side of the road. But you're going to slow down and look at it. And as you slow down and look at it, every car behind you slows down and looks at it. And it gets worse as the further back you go to a point where the traffic is stopped mm -hmm. because you slow down from 65 to 15 miles an hour or whatever. And that's exactly what water does when it comes across items at the bottom of the pot that are different from what they've been flowing through. Right. It just says, well, what's this? Let's let's take a look. We've got to be careful here. Let's slow mm -hmm. down. Let's see what's going on here. And before you know it, the water's backed up and it takes a lot longer to drain out if it drains out at all. Right. The only time it's useful to do something like that is when you get one of those like four foot tall, fancy, expensive uh, containers to grow in because it looks good next to your front door. Mm -hmm. Then you can put something in the bottom foot so that you have only a three foot growing. And especially if it's one of those lightweight pots that look like they're ceramic, but <laughs> yeah. in reality, they're something else. Yes. And, and much they're going to blow weight. over or be yeah. knocked over by the nightlife in your yard or whatever. Or yes. the wind. Or yeah. Or whatever. So I could see adding weight to the bottom would help. One of the worst suggestions I ever heard was putting styrofoam in the bottom one third <gasps> of the containers. Styrofoam's a bad actor. Not only that, it doesn't add any weight. Right. And so you're just making the pot even more top heavy. Right. When you do that. So, yeah, don't use styrofoam. No, it's a big polluter. And once it's out in the environment, we can't recatch it. And it stops the water from flowing, too. Yes, in the pot, it's a bad actor, too. Yeah. So uh, don't do that. Now, people did make some very interesting, yes, clever things with the shards from the broken pot that what you can do with them. I like Mary's idea of laying them on top of the potting soil in planters to keep the squirrels from digging in them. And she says here on the Facebook page, so far, so good. Yeah, and the squirrels can be a real pain. I had them digging out stuff out of pots. I took the pots and put them away because... 
the squirrels were such a pain. Good idea, Mary. Were they taking it out or planting acorns? Well, their goal was to plant the acorns, but in the process, they were digging other things out. Yeah. Some other ideas for using those shards from the broken pot. I like this one is using them as plant markers. Mm -hmm. I hadn't thought of that. That's a great idea. What color uh, permanent marker would you use? I would use black, but I suppose you can get a white one. Are there white permanent markers? I imagine. Yeah. Yeah. I have to look into that. Yeah. So that's something else you could do with it. And then all terracotta is sort of that reddish color. Isn't mm-hmm. it? Yeah. There's no yeah. white terracotta. Not that I'm aware of. Yeah. Well, you know, since we're on this subject, can we talk hypertufa pots? Oh, sure. Okay. Let's talk hypertufa pots since we're in a pot frame of mind here, so to speak. Hypertufa, you mentioned that on an episode a while back in, in your college classes. Uh, yeah, the students would be making hypertufa pots. What is a hypertufa pot? Uh, it's kind of a trough. I don't know where it started. The reason we started it was we had lots of leftover media and we always want the students to be successful. And so we we start a lot of seeds. So we didn't want to reuse the media. That's one place where I will not reuse media is when I'm starting seeds because seeds, starting from seeds, because seeds can, uh, seedlings can get diseases from the media that mature plants would not get. And specifically, that's called damping off. So we had a big pile of used media at school that we didn't know what to do with. And it was made primarily of peat moss, perlite, and vermiculite, which is a very classic mixture for uh, container plants. You'll find it at Cornell University. You'll find a UC Davis mix. uh, And they contain those three ingredients, peat moss, perlite, and vermiculite. So I was looking for something to do with them, and the hypertufa pot idea came up. And what you do is take one part cement, and it has to be cement, not concrete, and three parts of that leftover container media. And if you don't have leftover container media, then you can make uh, those that three parts with half of uh, a volume of peat moss and half a volume of perlite. That would be your least uh, expensive probably combination. You could probably use coir and perlite as well to make your three parts. And so we had a big wheelbarrow and we had containers and we just had the students picking up containers of of cement, throw it in, add a little water, pick up three containers of the same size of the leftover media, mix it together. You can get concrete dye, cement dye. It's expensive. It's the most expensive part of the job. It's coloring it. Yeah. Yeah. And you can make them into colors. You can color the, the mix. Depending on how wet it gets, if you have it like thick oatmeal you and you're very artistic or whatever, you can just form the pot yourself freehand. We used molds. We took grow pots and uh, oiled them with vegetable oil and then put the media inside the grow pot and then had another smaller. So let's say we used a number five and a number one. The number five would be our outside mold. We grease with the vegetable oil, the inside of the number five, then set the number one in the middle of it. And the number one would have uh, grease on the outside of the pot. And before we set that number one and we took a little piece of PVC pipe, we would cut it into about two inch thick, two inch long pieces of one inch thick PVC pipe, any kind you got lying around. Doesn't matter what grade PVC it is. That's for your drain hole. We didn't grease that. Maybe we should have, because sometimes it didn't come out at the end. So two inches thick is important as well because the walls of the hypertufa pot need to be two inches thick or they will break once you take it out of the pot. And then so we set up our molds, 
put the two inches in the bottom, stick the PVC pipe into that two inches, put the number one on top of it, and then fill in around the edges. And we let it set. Setting time varies by humidity, temperature, how wet your media, your hypertufa media was. One day, sometimes often in teaching, it would be a week because I wouldn't see the students in lab for another week. And then we take them out. And typically out of plastic pots, they came out fairly easily. And depending on how wet they were, we would then mold the edges, the corners. If they're real dry, you just use a brick and you can take those very 90 degree edges and sand them down to be softer. It was a fun, it was an artistic thing. I've had the pots and we didn't quite know what we were dealing with. So we planted in them to see what happened. We could grow anything. I was worried that the cement would lead to a high pH and so uh, acid-loving plants would do poorly in the pot. We had no problem with it whatsoever. We've grown all kinds of things, annuals, perennials, woody plants in these pots, and they are great insulators. Because of that thick two-inch wall, you can put them out where they get full sun on the side of the container and not absorb enough heat to, to harm the roots. What diameter PVC pipe did you use for the drain holes? One inch. That's a big drain hole. Well, the, the PVC pipe, yeah, it is. Uh, sometimes the PVC pipe didn't come out of the bottom of the pot. So the hole would only be whatever the center diameter of the the one inch pipe was. So about that would three be quarter. About, yeah, yeah, smaller. How did you remove the extraneous pipe? Uh, typically we could knock it out, but sometimes it just stayed. Well, when it stayed though, did you cut it down so it wasn't so obvious? We had two inch pieces of pipe. Two inch, okay. And then we laid two inches of the media around it. Oh. You got to have two inch walls on these things. We've, and bottom. And bottom and side. Okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Okay. And we've, we, we got real creative. I think of it as real creative. We used garbage cans that I guess they were th 30 gallon. I'm not, I mean, they probably were bigger. We turned 15 gallon pot upside down inside a number 15 mm -hmm. inside the bottom of the garbage can. And that gave us two inches around the outside and two inches over the top. So we had a a dome. Then we put a piece of PVC right in the middle of, of the flat, what was on top of the 15, the flat. That was our drain hole. Then we put another 15 on top of it and created a an urn, uh, a, a pot. So we had a very tall pot that was as tall as this big garbage can, but it, it only had a, a grow space of uh, the size of a 15 gallon pot or a number 15 pot. And a 15 is usually... 18 by 18. Thank you. 18 by 18. And it it just seems like it would be heavy, but it's not. They're not. That's the beauty of these. Yeah. Because you're using three parts media and one part cement, they're not heavy. They're heavier than those plastic ones that look like they're, cer they're ceramic, but not by much. I like the idea with your students of decorating the outside of it while it's still moist, like doing imprints of leaves or something like that. Right. That's a little tricky because you have to put the leaf in first and then pour the media over it. And it, but you get an impression. You hmm. get an, I did grape leaves on one and it, it came out quite nice. And then along the top, across the top, I told students to bring in whatever bric-a-brac they wanted to bring in and they would marbles or beads or whatever would stick in the, the wet top. Beer caps. I'd bring beer caps. Okay. Well, beer caps would stick quite well. The stuff on top, if it wasn't pushed in far enough, didn't all stick. Oh. So, it was a little bit squirrelier up there. All right. Hyper tufa pots. 
I guess I spelled it right, too. Mm -hmm. H-Y-P-E-R-T-U-F-A. We'll have a link in today's show notes. Lowe's has a video on how to make them, too. So if what we were saying sounded confusing, this might help. There are lots of videos, actually, uh, about making them. And um, they were traditionally used for, I saw them in the Brooklyn Botanic Gardens, and they were made into rectangles. That's another beautiful thing out of them. I talked about using round grow pots, Mm -hmm. but we did one with that was rectangular. And we got a box and lined it with plastic. It did have sort of bulgy sides because the box wasn't real stiff. It was a cardboard box. (laughs) So, it bulged out a little bit. At the Brooklyn Botanic Gardens, they had rectangular ones that were probably six inches tall, maybe maybe eight or ten inches tall. Because you need a good – you need a three to four inch growing depth for uh, succulents. And they planted succulents, some of them – hung over the sides, and so they were stacked. It was very artistic. And in a moist climate like they have there, they can grow uh, moss on them. And, mm. and, and there, are, there are ways you can encourage the moss to grow because they have a nice rough outside. Do you have a favorite Hypertufa video? So, there are many, yeah, there are many out there. And the, their components of the media vary slightly. And their methods of putting them together vary slightly. So, yeah, it's a good idea to watch a few of them and see what you want to try. I would think, too, that being two inches thick, they're, I won't say impervious to heat, but they're certainly more heat resistant. Right. They're great insulators. Yeah. So, in a hot climate like we have, they protect the roots better. Now, I have not put had them out in a hard freeze or extended hard freeze. We get hard freezes here once a year, maybe. And they've been outside and they've done just fine. But... In a much colder place that has repeated heart and extended heart freezes, you'd probably have to take them inside or they would crack. And excuse this question because I'm old, but you may have already said this. How many drain holes do you put in each pot? I've done one. I've done three. It varies. Obviously, too many would make the bottom weak. So, Mm, you'd want maybe four inches between them, Mm -hmm. three to four inches between them and between them and the edge. All right. This is sort of trial and error thing. Oh, it's it's an experimental thing. It's yes. <laughs> freeing to be able to do it. The only ones that have failed that I know about are the ones where the walls were too thin. All right. Every th- other thing we tried, uh, well, actually, we tried big PVC pipe uh, as the mold, and it stuck to the PVC. We could not get it out. Are there molds available? I'm not aware of any. Okay. All right. There, for you entrepreneurs out there. Go for it. Yeah. Have a good time. All right. Hypertufas. We came a long way from broken pot shards with that one. We sure did. Debbie Flower, thanks so much. You're welcome. One of my favorite aisles at the big hardware stores is the drip irrigation aisle. Why? Well, it's almost like a church in that space. People are silently staring and they're staring straight ahead at that morass of bins containing strange looking drip irrigation parts. And more than likely, those people are praying for guidance that they can unravel the mysteries surrounding drip irrigation. In Friday's Beyond the Garden Basics newsletter, we try to guide you to the right bin so that drip irrigation, which is a very efficient way to water your plants, doesn't become drip irritation. Well, at least we attempt to manage your irritation. It's kind of inevitable. In Friday's combination newsletter and podcast, we talk with garden author Robert Couric. He literally wrote the book about drip irrigation. And in the newsletter portion, I'll show you some of the best options available for irrigating your plants with less water. 
It's in the newsletter that goes beyond the basics. It's the Garden Basics with Farmer Fred Beyond the Basics newsletter. It's coming out Friday, June 17th. Find it via the link in today's show notes or visit our new website, gardenbasics.net. There you can find a link to the newsletter in the tabs on the top of the page. Also, you can listen to any of our previous editions of the podcast, as well as read an enhanced transcript of the podcast episode you're now listening to. It's at GardenBasics.net, where you can also link to the Garden Basics newsletter, Beyond the Basics. And it's free. Look for it on Friday, June 17th. So take a deeper dive into gardening with the Beyond the Garden Basics newsletter. Find it at GardenBasics.net. Garden Basics with Farmer Fred comes out every Tuesday and Friday, and it's brought to you by Smart Pots and Dave Wilson Nursery. Garden Basics, it's available wherever podcasts are handed out. For more information about the podcast, visit our website, gardenbasics.net, and that's where you can find out about the free Garden Basics newsletter, Beyond the Basics. And thank you so much for listening.